Last week, we, we um, continued our story uh, of, of the Christ, uh, looking through Mary's eyes. And I, I um, asked you some hard questions. I don't know if you remember, you know, would you, would you be willing to, to, to respond to God if he asked to use your life in a new way? And we, and we saw how, how Mary was so real in it. She was, she was, um, so thoughtful. She, she didn't, you know, obedience was not blind. She, she asked that question that, that Tom just saying, how could this be? I'm a virgin. And, and then we saw her move from, from, uh, measured incredulity to, to simple acceptance. I don't understand what you're doing, God, but I trust you. And, 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 and let it be done to me. Do you remember that? As, as you have said. And then, and then we saw that she went to, to, um, be with another, uh, follower of God, another believer. And she went to be with Elizabeth, who, unbeknownst to Mary, had, um, also been experiencing a miracle of her own. And, and that's why it says in the sixth month, it was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, this miraculous pregnancy with a woman way beyond childbearing years that Mary came and, and, and John the Baptist leapt in Elizabeth's womb and Elizabeth blessed Mary, even though Mary hadn't told her anything yet, she spoke into Mary's obedience and, and said, blessed are you among women, right? Uh, uh, and that affirmation helped Mary move from simple acceptance to, to willing surrender. Now she took a, a greater step. Now, now it's, it's not, I don't understand. It's God, I choose. I choose to give you my life. You use me, God, however you want. And we saw the remarkable parallel between Mary's prayer right there and Jesus' prayer 30 years later. Uh, uh, Nevertheless, not my will, God, but yours be done. And then we saw Mary move from this willing surrender to this wonder. This wonder. She broke out in song and, and and we saw her say, my soul magnifies the Lord, right? And my spirit exalts in God, my Savior. She moved from willing surrender to wonder. And I ask you that hard question, you know, if we don't experience that wonder, are we really hearing the story? If we don't go through this amazing crisis of faith are we really hearing the story well i'd like to go back with you again and and it's the same story it's just seen through a different lens now it's through the lens of her betrothed of her engaged fiance joseph and and you remember that in that culture engagement was a legally binding agreement there had been a bride price there was there was a legally binding agreement so if that was to break if that agreement was to break for any reason, there would have to be this um, this divorce or death was the only way that you could break that, right? And both of them carried amazing stigmas, you know, in in that culture. Don't you love Joseph? I don't know if you were hearing. It's such a familiar story. It's easy to lose the details of it. But it says he was a, a righteous man and not want, not wanting to put Mary to shame. 
You think, well, what shame is there in burying the Son of God? You have to, you have to put yourself back in their culture. Here's a, here's a pregnant teenager engaged to someone, and, and, and now she's pregnant. What, you know, their minds are going all over the place, right? And honestly, the law required that she would be stoned, that she would be put to death for adultery because she was not married. And Joseph, being a righteous man, in right relationship with God, and wanting to be in right relationship with Mary, agreed to quietly divorce her, right? And she was telling him an amazing story, but, but he's a realist. And, you know, I'm sorry, Mary, I hear you telling me that an angel came to you in the night, but, but, but I, I'm sorry, I have to be faithful to my understanding of God. And, and I have to do this. I have to go forward. With this, and so then we see this amazing, this amazing encounter of Joseph now, and I'm I'm not sure why it happened the way that it did. It didn't happen in person like Mary's encounter. Joseph was asleep; he was dreaming, and in the dream, he uh, the angel speaks to Joseph and and affirms to Joseph now what Mary had said. My wife loves this passage for that reason, right? You need an angel to come? Uh, just trust me the first time, right? Um, but the angel affirmed exactly what Mary had said. This child that is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son. And you, Joseph, will call her, his name Jesus. Now, this didn't work out so well when, when Zechariah uh, tried to um, name his son, right? He was struck silent because of his unbelief. You shall call his name Jesus, which means God saves, for he will save his people from their sins. And this is the fulfillment, Joseph, uh, Matthew tells us, of, of the prophecy that we saw a couple of weeks ago in Isaiah. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him God with us. Well, well, I, I love this story of Joseph's Integrity, honestly, both in, in, in being real with God, but then when God, in honoring his integrity, came and helped him understand the rest of the story, when God came, then, then immediately he responds and he takes this, this news and accepts it and becomes the adopted father of the Son of God. And I've shared with you before, in one of my family's stories, there's a very similar situation where I had a sister who was married to another man and had a child by yet another man. And, uh, and, and you can just imagine how that would rock their world. And, and that man, uh, who's struggling today with deep, um, with deep Alzheimer's, that man willingly and openly received this, my nephew, this son as his own, raised him as his own. And one of my earliest memories was, was him out there, uh, of them, it was him out there playing ball at 6 o'clock in the morning because he had to go to work at 7, playing ball with his adopted son uh, because he was fully, he was fully his. One of the beauties of that story, by the way, is that in his uh, dementia and in his Alzheimer's now, the son is taking care of the father. The adopted son is taking care of the father. I didn't mean for that analogy to work so well, but... But um, this son took care of this father as well, didn't he? It's such an amazing story. And men, I know that it's not lost on you women. I want you to understand how hard this is for a man. This is an amazing story for a man uh, to, um, 
to respond to God in the way that Joseph did. But here's the amazing thing. Because he did, three truths uh, become real for us as well. And I'd like to, keeping the story in mind today, look at the truths that came to us because of Joseph's obedience. Can I do that? You've probably filled in all three blanks already. You're already there, but... But I'd like to unpack them with you. Can very familiar to us as Christians, very unfamiliar to a culture like Japan where they have not heard this story before. Here's the first rock your world truth that Joseph, out of his obedience, tells us. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Right? The, the mother is a human, right? And, and, and everyone who's ever come to this has wrestled with this question. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is the Father? Well, the Holy Spirit is completely God. Amen? The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity, completely God. And the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. The Holy Spirit is the Father of this child. That means that the child is completely God as well. The child is divine. Now, now, I'm making such a big deal of this. A lot of you already assume that, right? But it's an intellectual watershed. You know what a watershed is? I I got to see a a watershed map of the whole United States. It was phenomenal. But the the idea is that if I'm standing right here on this ridgeline and I pour a glass of water on that side of the ridgeline, it's going to the Atlantic, if I pour water on this side of the ridgeline, the watershed here will take it to the Pacific. It'll take it a completely different place, or the Gulf of Mexico or something. A watershed means that that tiny difference makes all the difference in the world. And, and do not lose this, beloved. The idea that Jesus is completely God is an intellectual watershed. If you're on that side of it, if you can put your weight down on the divinity of Christ, it changes everything. And, and conversely, if, if you cannot accept that reality that Jesus is God, then it changes everything. It changes everything. Your complete understanding of who He came to be, what he came to do. So the, the greatest struggle for most of us is that we have trouble putting our trust in something that we can't see or reproduce, right? We grew up in a, in a culture based on science, and, and that's a good thing. Science, science and, and faith, in, or excuse, let me put this differently, science and truth will always come together at some point, even if they seem far apart for the moment. But science is based on what you can see. And, and, and further, what you can reproduce, right? Bunch of scientists in the room here. You gotta be able to reproduce it, right? For it, for it to be true from science perspective. And our problem is that we have not done this. <laughs> we have not had another virgin birth. We have not had uh, we don't, we've not seen someone risen from the dead. The concept of miracles in general, that God would intervene in our world in a way that's different than his normal creation, or what we might call nature, right, as we know it, that, that idea that God intervenes is a challenge for many. Well, let, me, let me just try and walk with you for a second through some of it. Did Jesus really feed five to 20,000 people with five loaves? And two fishes, right? Um, you see where I'm going? Did Jesus re I mean, really? Did he really walk on the water out to meet his disciples? 
That's a miracle. I can't reproduce that unless it's icy outside, right? I can't reproduce that. Did Jesus really rise from the dead and appear to over 500 people at a time? Here's a choice, beloved. We can go miracle by miracle through each one, evaluate it based on our understanding. Many have. Oh, I think that one might be true, but that one's a little far-fetched, right? Or, or we can come to this miracle. We can wrestle with this miracle. We can ask God, God, grant me faith in this one. Because, because 5,000, feeding 5,000 is nothing compared to incarnation. Amen? This is going to sound blasphemous because we put so much weight on resurrection. But I'm going to tell you, the resurrection is nothing compared to incarnation. What? Because if God has become flesh, then He is God in the flesh. He can do anything He's thinking wants, right? Right? Do you see this? Incarnation, this Christmas story, is critically important. It's not just a little thing that we get to do and we try and survive. I've got another holiday party tonight, right? Oh, I can't wait for Christmas season to be over. This is critical. This is critical that you come to grips with this reality. The angel is saying, Jesus is God incarnate. No, no, praise God. We don't have to accept it just from this story, right? Uh, every single biblical author came to wrestle with this same thing. John, we saw a couple of Christmases ago. In the beginning was the Word. Remember that? And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And then a couple of verses later, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we have beheld His glory. We've seen it for ourselves, right? And Peter, in first and second Peter, talking about our Savior who is God. Every single man and woman who's ever walked the face of the earth has had to come to the same watershed and had to say, which side am I going to land on here? Which side am I going to fall on? It is an intellectual watershed. But I want to suggest to you that it's also a, a personal crisis. Because if it's true, it changes everything, right? It changes everything. A crisis is simply a moment in a sequence of events that determines all future events, whether for good or for bad, right? It, it's that, uh, we actually call it, in climbing, we call it that crux moment, the crux move, right? Got some climbers in the room. Uh, if, if this is the one that determines whether you climb higher or you peel off and fall, right? A crisis is that kind of, of moment where everything that comes after will reflect this moment. Beloved, incarnation is a personal crisis. Now, are you starting to feel the magnitude of what Joseph was experiencing right before us here. A crisis is this fork in the road and, and, and the understanding that Jesus is God or the rejection of that understanding is just such a place. Here's, the, here's why. If Jesus is who he says he is, then you're going to have to center your whole life on him. Let me say that again. If Jesus is who he says he is, then it's going to affect you and you're going to have to center your life on him. Now, some of you right now are going, uh, not going to happen. And that's okay. 
I respect so much your integrity in that. You're not at that place. And I do not ask you to not have integrity. But I want you to understand the magnitude of it. Because if he is God in the flesh, then it's going to require you to center your life on him. It is, a, it is an intellectual watershed, but it's a personal crisis that's going to determine the trajectory of your life as well. And, and I just want to say the good news in the midst of this is also a powerful hope. It's a powerful hope. If, if Jesus really is God, and then that means that this world is not all there is. Right? There is life. There is love after death. Right? It means that, that one day suffering and brokenness and regret and pain and evil, those things will end. Those things will end. It means that there's hope for the world. And beloved, if there's hope for the world, there's hope for you and there's hope for me as well. Jesus is God. That wasn't all the news that the angel brought. The angel is saying also that Jesus is completely human, right? His father is God, yes, and that makes him completely God, but because his mother is a human being, he's also completely human. And I think for a long time, and I think I shared this with you last week, but for a long time in my life, I thought that when he became flesh, he laid aside his deity. And I've come to realize recently that no, he didn't lay aside his deity. He was still completely God. What he laid aside was his glory. What he laid aside was, was that privilege of, of, of acting as God in human flesh. But when Jesus became human, he laid that aside. Why? Why? So that he could be the second Adam. So that he could walk the life that God is asking you and me to walk. So that he could go before us and live the life that we can't live. So that we might have the relationship that we don't deserve. He didn't lay aside his deity, lay aside his glory. So what does it mean that he's completely human? Well, it means that he's been all, I mean, completely human. It means that he's been all the places that you've been. If you want to write down one word here, write down places. He's been all the places that you've been. The joyful moments, the amazing moments, like Simeon's arrival, like, like your, your um, people that you were loving and caring for, their baptism. He's been in the joyful moments, but it also means that he's been in, in all the darknesses and the dark places that you have experienced as well. It means he's been all the places you've been, but it also means that he knows the pain that you felt. And, and rightly or wrongly, we feel pain and we try and anesthetize ourselves to it so that we don't feel pain anymore. And we discover the hard way that in anesthetizing the pain, we anesthetize the joy as well. And we simply do not feel anymore. There is another way, beloved, there's another way. And that is to put your trust in one who's gone before you in that pain. Isn't that what Mary did? She, she went to be with someone who might understand her pain, and that person did, and it refreshed her and renewed her. What if you could go to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you understand what I'm feeling right now? Do you understand what it's like to be separated from your father? Do you understand that, Jesus? And Jesus said, yeah, I understand that. 
Do you understand what it's like to see your friends suffer for their faith? You say, yeah, yeah, I've been there too, right? Do you understand what it's like, Jesus, to feel like God has abandoned you? That God has forsaken you? Do you you possibly understand that, Jesus? Jesus says, yes. Yes, I can. I can understand that. Because Jesus is completely human. He knows our pain. And, and, and that would be wonderful news, even if we left it there. But, but there's more. There's more great news here. Because Jesus is completely human, it means that he has the power to comfort us in our suffering. Because he has experienced that suffering himself. He knows. He knows. So many of you have experienced suffering that I have not. And I'm guessing that in that suffering, people have come to you and said, oh, I know what you're going through. And probably something deep inside of you went, "Um, no, you don't. (laughs) Right? No, you don't. Um, But once in a while, you encounter someone who really does. I don't want to use examples here. Um, but, But when you encounter someone that really does, understand it. I remember when we lost our first pregnancy. Um, I called a friend. And she answered the phone. A dear friend of uh, Karen and my both. And, and I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak. I mean, just literally, I couldn't say a word. And she understood. She didn't have a cell phone that gave her my number then. We were on a landline. She was how old I am. But she understood. She'd been there. She understood that loss. You've got a God who understands your pain. You've got a God who's been there and, and who can, can comfort you and your understanding, and oftentimes, many times, maybe most times, that's not by giving you advice how to make it through. No, that advice is just that, that, that ministry is just the ministry of presence. I will be with you in this. I will be with you. You can't see now how this is going to result in your good and my glory, Jesus says. I'm not going to try and explain it to you. I'm just going to be with you. Just going to be with you. The author of the book of Hebrews puts it this way. I'm going to jump to the very end of the passage. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Speaking of Jesus. He had to be made like us in every respect. Why? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, to make an offering for the sins of the people because he himself had suffered when tempted. And because he did, he's able to help those who are suffering now. He's able to help those who are tempted now. So, beloved, you can... Trust Him. You can rely on Jesus because He knows your brokenness. He knows your pain. He knows your joy. 
And he has the power to comfort, to strengthen, to bring you through. You will get through. You will come out on the other side. I'm sorry, I'm so emotional today, but I was with a dear friend last night and, and, um, and he had, and I don't want to step on your emotions, but he had lost um, a very close friend to suicide, right? The only thing that can keep God from coming through from you is if you play God and, and step in the way. And I am so good at that. Not necessarily in something as dramatic as suicide, but I am so good in crawling back on the throne and saying to Jesus, I've got this now, Jesus. Thanks for your help. I've got this. I'll take it from here. Right? Um, you can rely on Jesus because he has the power to bring you through. So we've seen that Jesus is God. We've seen that Jesus is completely human. But the angel brought one more message, and I just want to close with this, that, that, that not only is Jesus God but, and, and completely human, but He is with us as well. He is with us. That's the meaning of the name Emmanuel, right? God is with us. The purpose of the Christmas story is so that we... Excuse me, let me say it differently. The purpose of Christmas or the incarnation is that we might be in relationship with Jesus. And and to have a relationship, you have to be near someone, right? We've all tried those long-distance relationships. (laughs) They're difficult. Why? Because there's just something that happens physically, emotionally, spiritually when you're together. The incarnation happened to bring God near so that we can be with him. When Jesus walked the earth, right, what did he want his disciples to do? He wanted them to be with him. Follow me, he said. And in John 14, when he was getting ready to leave, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Why? So that you can be where I am. So that you can be with me. This this theme of with pervades all the scripture. This theme is is just rampant in here. The incarnation happened to bring God near so that we can be with him and he can be with us. It means several things. Let me hit them fast. It means that you can talk with him now. Any time, any place, you can communicate with the living God because Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. I'm going to take it a step further. It means that you can commune with him. You can experience his presence in your heart and in your life. You can have that intimate communion with, with the living God because Jesus has become flesh. But it means also that you're going to have to have courage, beloved. It means that you're, and courage is what comes from the French word for heart, right? Cour is heart. You're going to have to take heart here. You're going to have to merge together your emotions and your mind and your will and, 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 and have courage in this world. Why? Because the world will not receive Jesus as Lord. The world will not believe that he is God. The world will not even believe necessarily that he came in the flesh. You're going to have to have the Courage to face rejection by the world. And that's what I love about the story of Joseph. 
right? He, he went head to head with us. The world was saying, oh my goodness, um, your fiance is pregnant. Yeah, wow. Right? Oh, what? Oh, yeah, right. Right. God, yeah, right. Right? You're going to have to face the derision of the world if you put your weight down on incarnation. And that takes courage. It takes courage. That's why I'm so grateful for you. Because when I'm flagging in my courage, I can go be with one of you. And, and I can, I can have, find that encouragement like Mary found it from Elizabeth. I can find that from you. And we can find it from each other. It's so important to be together for that reason. Courage. But not just to face the rejection by the world. You're going to have to have the courage to give up your right to self-determination. That's a fancy way of saying to get your butt off the throne. Excuse me for saying that. It came out too fast. Right? Um, did you see? In the Jewish culture, the man's responsibility was to name the child. Right? And they would normally name the child after a family member. There would be a family name. Oftentimes after um, themselves. We saw that in the story of Zechariah. They were all expecting him to name his son uh, uh, Zechariah, and and he was struck dumb until he could say, until he wrote down the words, "His name is what the angel told me. His name is John, right? His name is John." To to take away and think all the way back to Genesis. What what did God give Adam the responsibility to do? Remember that hippopotamus, right? Lama with two L's, right? Um, to name, right? So that's a, that's a powerful way of expressing dominion, to name this child. But this angel is taking that away. This angel is saying, I've got the name for your child, right? This child shall be called Jesus, or God saves, because he's come to save us from our sins. To save us from our sins. So here's the deal. If Jesus is in your life, then you don't manage Jesus like you manage the rest of your life. You know, I'm put you in this little box, Jesus. I'm going to bring you out at Christmas time and then put you back in, right? You don't manage him like you manage your schedule. If Jesus is, is God, completely God, and if he's completely human, and if he's come to be with us, then you are not his manager. He is your manager. You don't control him. He controls you. Let me put this slightly differently. You give up the power of if. You give up the power of if. Right? What do I mean? Um, yeah, um, God, I will obey you if you do this for me, right? Uh, God, I will, I will, um, I will respond to you and follow you if you give up the power of if, and you have to have courage to do that. But here's the good news: I'm playing on words. I realize that it's going to sound like a Star Wars movie. I apologize, but you give up the power of if for the power of with, right? You become, forgive me. Uh, with warrior. Okay, some of you Trekkie, or not Trekkie, some of you Star Wars people know exactly what I'm talking about. Not a Sith warrior, a with warrior. God, I can do anything. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. God, I can face anything this world or the future or the underworld brings to me because you are with me. Right? And here's the deal. If, if, you don't respond to Jesus' love in this way. If it's if obedience, then it's not obedience at all. 
If it's with obedience, it's life and light and love. Most of us struggle, um, I think, to um, understand who we really are. Am I making that up? We think that we know who we are at different... Well, let me just think about when you were 13, right? You might have had a good idea who you are, right? How did that work out? (laughs) Think about when you were 21, 22, or even when I got married. I got married at 26. You know, I thought I had myself pretty figured out. Even the science was behind me. The male brain finally comes into place about 25, the books told me, right? I, I, I know who I am now. My goodness, when I look back at myself as a 25 or 26-year-old, I had no clue. I had no clue who I was. Do you see where I'm going with this? We struggle to discover who we really are. We think we know, but when we look back later, we realize that we had no clue. It's only when we give ourselves completely to the one who created us, to the one who came for us, to the one who redeemed us, to the one who's coming for us again, to the one who found us when we were lost, to the one who saved us from ourselves by the sacrifice of his life, to the one who's coming again. It's only when we give ourselves to that one that we get what we need most from him. It's only then that we discover who we really are. I love the way that Tim Keller put it in his Christmas book. He, he said, we, um, we need Jesus to name us. We want to name him and put him in a box. But we need him to name us. By the way, in Revelation, oh, I'm losing it now for a second. I want to say 21, but don't hold me to that. Um, in Revelation... No, it's, I'm sorry. It's, it's in uh, Revelation 2 when he's talking to the church, I think at, at Sardis. He says, you will receive a new name. And that, you know, it's one of those things that just flies by when you're reading through Revelation. Oh, yeah, I'll get a new name. You know, I'm kind of fond of this one, actually, but, but um, he's speaking of the same thing. We need Jesus to name us. And by the way, his name, his name will be a name of encouragement. His name will be a, a name of hope. And power, his name will be a good name. So we need, uh, we need the courage to face rejection. We need the courage to give up our self-determination. And lastly, we just need the courage to admit that we're broken, that we are sinners. What was Jesus' entire mission, according to this passage? He will save his people, help me, from their... I'm sorry? Sins, right? From their sins. So if we don't have the courage to admit that we've fallen short of the glory of God, guess what? I'm, I'm, I'm not a great logician, you know, but, but it, I, the best I can understand, it means that we won't be saved from our sins. It takes enormous courage to admit that you're a sinner, that you have fallen short, that you need forgiveness and pardon before anything else. It takes enormous courage to throw out your old identity and to find a new identity in Jesus Christ. So where do we find that courage? Where do we get it? Isn't that so cool? This is so cool. We get the courage to live the Christ life from Christ. From God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We get the very thing we need from him. 
And 90% of the world will say, what does the world need more of? I'm thinking of, oh, man, I just stated myself. Um, uh, the Supremes, I think. The world needs more love, right? We get the courage to stand in the face of derision, to, to, to leave our self-determination. We get the courage to, to openly admit we're broken and need Jesus from the love of God. And beloved, that love is here right now for you. If God is speaking to you, if God is inviting you into a deeper relationship, be a Mary, be a Joseph. Respond. Respond. Can I pray for you? Oh, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for, for people like Mary and Joseph. And we could go on forever. Simeon and Anna, uh, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. God, I could start naming names of people in this room. Thank you for the courage of those who've gone before. It does, it does give me so much courage. But Jesus, most of all, I want to, I want to communicate with you. I want to commune with you. I want to draw directly from you the power to live this life until that advent comes, until that second coming, when you come to prove not just to me, not just to us, but all the world will see that your word is true. You've come for us. God, grant us the strength today to turn our lives over to you anew this Christmas and to let your love, to let your joy, to let hope so flow from us that not only are we blessed, but everyone we encounter is blessed as well.